Well, because I noticed earlier when I when you were talking about your back, I've looked over at you and you're kind of doing this. You're like leaning forward, and you're. What's well, like, because when I when I straighten up, that's when it starts to hurt. Well, and I, what I couldn't remember is if you normally sit like that. I do tend to hunch over. I do too. That's and that's that is my first weakness. That's that's yeah. what I'll when I when I start to break my posture. That's where I'll go to. Is I'll go to the like the leaning forward into my monitor. Yeah, and that's bad. That's my cue to get up and do something else just because I know I'm just getting fatigued and yeah. tired and I'm leaning closer to the screen for some reason. And and it doesn't help that you've been pulling these working until the hours of the morning. <laughs> I'm serious. I mean, that's when it just, that all goes. Yeah. And it's not just physical. It's it's mental too. It's everything. I, I actually had to do that once more too. And for the same project. Yeah. Oh, this is, I've got a, things, some things are going to change in the new year with a couple of projects. Uh, we would hope. We would hope things would change every year, but yeah, I seem, I don't know. I'm hoping for a better year next year. This year was have, okay. It was okay. That's all I can say about this year. It was okay. Yeah, this year. I mean, I know I'm. I got my head above water still. still I can. Crazy. I can say that you know. Yeah. But not by much. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna need a snorkel here pretty soon or something. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I guess you can say I'm I'm doing the show with one finger tied behind my back. <laughs> uh, today is today did not go as planned. I guess, well, I guess why, it started last that, night. Jeremy? Well, <laughs> tell, tell us tell us what happened. That's because last night I managed to. Is it is it, can you say whack off? I whacked off a piece of my finger. <laughs> <laughs> I know I need a better term than that, but yeah, I, I whacked a piece of my finger off. With a very, doing? very, very sharp blade. And I mean, the piece of the finger was off and I didn't even know what had happened. And I was like, oh, wow, my finger hurts. And then I kind of looked down at it and yeah, there's a chunk, a nice chunk of my finger off. It's like a, it's like on my fingertip. And I was trying oh. to explain it to a physician friend of mine over text while I'm bleeding around. And I'm like, yeah, like I, I whacked a disc off of my, I like removed a dip. It's not a, because I try to explain to him, like, I don't think I can suture this. It's not, there's not, no, two, there's a whole chunk of missing. Yeah, it's, it's like a disc was cut off. We're recording again. All right. Well, we're back. That was fun. The, dub, the double dongle strikes again. Or no, it should be the double dongle strikes back. Yeah. <laughs> really need to get you a hub or something. You have too much going on over there. Well, I don't even know what that was. I don't know if it was a connection from the, Focus right itself, or if it was something over here with my old dongle, mm-hmm. my dongle fiasco. Yeah. Anyway, where were we talking about? Oh, finger. Um, so yeah, and I spent um, all morning at the doctor, and uh, there's not much they can do. It's one of those things. But you wait and 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 you wait because our healthcare system is so amazing. Oh yeah. You sit there and wait for at least two hours. And then yep. you see the doctor for what, 15 of that? 15 minutes of that? Yeah. Yeah, it's fun. Hurry up and wait. Anyway. <clears throat> um, well, sorry about your finger. Yeah. That sucks. So it's it's fun because, you know, I use a track. You're not a, I'm a full-time trackpad user. You are not. So I, I am a full-time trackpad user. And it's my, it's my trackpad using index finger that I have now wrapped up in bandages. And so I've had to learn to use my, this finger. You're flipping me off right now. You realize that uh, on my trackpad, and it's and it's weird because now I also have to use this finger, which I've never used before for all the two finger stuff, scrolling and whatever. Oh yeah. 
Well, see, for me on my setup, I, I use a trackpad, but I use it on my left hand and I only use it for gestures. <laughs> and, and here's the other thing. When, when you, you're a touch typist, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, these fingers always feel for the little bumps on the key. Mm-hmm. I, I can't feel this. So I don't even know where to put my hand. I have to look down to see where to put my hand oh, on the keyboard yeah. every time. But uh, I, think it, I think I can take the Band-Aid off in a couple of days. Um, the question is, I don't know how much I'm going to feel still. So, I don't know. I don't even know if... Well, I mean, well, well here's my question to uh, the... I know we have some medical, somewhat experts that, that are part <laughs> of the community here. Um, will I get my fingerprints back? Because this is also my Touch ID finger. I couldn't even get it in my computer. Because, yeah, you might have a scar because on I'm it. missing my fingerprints. You might have a pretty good scar on it. But will it will it have fingerprints? I would think so. I don't I don't think your fingerprints go I think when the skin grows back, the print grows back, maybe. Um, do they? I, I hope so. I I don't know how this works. Google? Do fingerprints? Grow back? Is that what we're asking? Yep. Yeah, it says tend to grow back over time. Mm, yep. I, I hope that one day I will be able to use Touch ID again. Maybe maybe this is my entree to get an iPhone 10, John. <laughs> maybe, then you won't need it. Right to face ID. Well, except for your computer. My computer, yeah. Yeah, anyway. Well, since we tar- started talking about, about project stuff, I, I have a... An article popped up. It was one of these. Um, it was actually from Mike Cohn. I follow either him or I think it's his Mountain Goat software on, on uh, I don't know, it's either Twitter. It might, actually, I think it's Facebook. Um, but anyway, Mike Cohn is one of these guys. He's a um, been doing agile coaching forever. Uh, I think he's a really smart guy. He's written several books that I really, really like. Agile Estimating and Planning is one. He did um, Succeeding with Agile. And all his stuff is Scrum-focused. Mm-hmm. And I don't... I, I've done I've done really like textbook Scrum before, and it, I think it works for if you have the right size project, and it's a project that's going to have a certain duration. Um, but most of my projects, it doesn't make sense for these days because there's not enough develop there aren't enough developers on the projects. Not big enough. I mean, Scrum really you need like at least I would say five developers on the on the team before before you need that level of ceremony. Mm-hmm. Which is weird to say that about an agile process, but Scrum does have, in my opinion, quite a bit of ceremony. I, I really am preferring the more continuous type approaches now. So. People have different names for them, like a Kanban type thing, where you just you're just continuously um, grabbing stories. You're kind of regularly, when needed, doing backlog grooming and stuff. So that's um, there's mm-hmm. still a lot of overlap with with Scrum and some of these other things. Um, and then you just you know you you do demos as needed. You're you know you're you're more continuous in all the things. You know, um, improving your process. You're more continuous deploying or or at least. Ability to deploy is continuous, so it's more. Um, what I always get these confused. We have continuous development, and I'm sorry, continuous integration, continuous deployment, and what's the, what's the other one? What am I confusing? So continuous deployment is every time you check in, it it results in a deploy. Mm-hmm. Oh, continuous delivery. So I, I think that's what I um, what I tend to like to do. So it's basically every every commit that gets pushed to master can be deployed. But you don't necessarily deploy every time. It's you know that that's continuous delivery. Like we continuously deliver, but we not we not, not we may not deploy every time we deliver. Yeah, that makes any sense. Um, anyway, I think they work way better, and a lot, especially for a lot of these Salesforce projects where you've got uh, at least the one the some of these I'm on where you got one or two or three developers, and and you've got you know there's a tooling nowadays, and everything's cloud, so it's it's not like you're involving 
server setup or any of these other things that required, you know, I don't know, I think just more more planning, more ceremony or whatever. Um, but some, I, one, one thing that I think always is difficult, especially for um, teams or in our case, like clients that either don't have a ton of experience in Agile or they do have some experience, but I think as with most organizations, they, they struggle with it. I mean, because anything dealing with people is hard. And the best fun thing about Agile, it's supposed to be simple. It's supposed to be simple. Even, even the ones with more ceremony are fairly simple. I mean, Scrum doesn't even prescribe any technical um, like processes or, or um, practices. In fact, that's one criticism of Scrum. I think people level at Scrum is that unlike XP, for example, like Scrum doesn't talk about um, pair programming or te- testing or any of that kind of stuff. It's, it's they kind of leave that up to the to the reader to figure that out. Um, but you know, anyway, you you see these companies that they've 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 either done you know kind of agile and name only, um, or and it's across the board. I see kind of the full spectrum, but it's. Even even companies I think that have some success with it, they still struggle with it. It's a big struggle because usually it's like a team or a department within a company. It's rare that you find a company that they've implemented agile thinking from the like top down, which is really where it works best. Anyway, so you know I'm uh, involved in a project right now, and one of the things that um, that they have struggled with in the past and they continue to struggle with is how to when you start like say a sprint. Um. You know, you've got you may have UI designers and software engineers and te- testers or whatever. Um, that the what they want to do is, or I think it's just human nature, is to have like, for example, UI designers be like a sprint ahead of the of the developers, so that they can have all the mockups and they've got, they can go work with marketing and get all that done a sprint ahead, so that when the developers get on that sprint. That stuff's done, and the developers can take the mockups and immediately run with them. Okay, so that's one solution. Is just to do it a little, you know, a sprint ahead. Um, there's a sm- there's a there's a smaller version of that where some people or certain types of roles may work like a story ahead. So, in you know, if, if in a three week sprint, if you're doing sprints, um, you know, a developer might work on you know half a dozen stories. Um, so you have a you have a you know this a UI person go mock up a story that d- a developer two or three stories down the down their path is going to work on. So you there's still a little bit of work ahead, but it's it's all still within the same sprint. And I I tend to like that practice better. Um, it's the thing is is and I, I I tell people it's like I'm I'm not against sending out a scout or two. That's kind of my metaphor for it to see mm-hmm. what's over that hill. But I don't. I don't want them. I don't want them going across the Rockies, though. You know, sure. Because then, you're, then you're then you're not agile. Then you're, you know, you're, they're they're well, the things they find in their scouting expeditions are going to be completely that landscape is going to be changed by the time we get there. You went out too far. Mm-hmm. You know, you're they're out there making decisions on things and designing things that are so far out that by the time we get there, the project has moved and has shifted because, you know, targets always move, right? It'd be great if we could shoot a, a static target, but we can't. It's always a moving target. Right. And by the time we get there, the target's in a completely different place. So what they designed did not, they didn't have the 
the ability to take into account all this latest knowledge that we have now, the things we've learned about the project, the things that have been changed about the project, the change in the marketplace, whether with competition or whatever, that has caused us to have to change our focus a little bit or whatever. And they don't—they didn't have any of those when they worked on that because they went too far out. And I know you—you you have different philosophies on this, so you're probably sitting here just disagreeing with me on everything, which is fine. I think it's—I think it's interesting. But what do you? Um, how do you handle that? Because I know you—you know—you do a lot of UI work and. I know you do, you know, I've seen you do mock-ups before. You might have had other people do mock-ups before and give them to you. Um, how do you, what, what's your, just process-wise, like, what do you think about this? How do you, how do you like to work? And I know, I know you're not like an uppercase agilist or anything. And I, I don't know that I am either. I mean, I definitely, I definitely like to work in a more agile way, but mm-hmm. I think there's a, a continuum that, and, and I also don't think waterfall as, is as uh, waterfall as, as it was, I think it gets a bad rap, I guess, is what I'm saying. It's It was never supposed to be completely waterfall. In fact, if you go back and read the, like the original paper that somebody wrote for uh, the ACM or IEEE, whoever it was, you know, you'll see that there was actually supposed to be some iteration in those, in those waterfall projects. We just screwed it up as an industry. <laughs> yeah. We didn't read the damn paper. That's the thing. People need to go back and read these papers that have been written over the past 30 years, and probably further than that, you know, because we are, we are not, we are not, um, letting history teach us some of these things. We're having to make, make the same mistakes. But anyway, I'll let you answer the question now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to I go back to your first thing that you kind of segued into, and that was the, the whole waterfall versus agile thing. I, I, think, I, think as a, I think people tend to jump onto these fads, yes. and then they, they're so about the fad and just being part of the umbrella of the fad, whether they're doing it right or wrong, um, that's where they live. And they they kind of they kind of create these tribes, and so if you're doing that other thing and they're doing this thing, then you're the evil guy and you're the dumb guy. You're the you're not the one that's doing not doing it right. Because so, everyone wants to prove that they're doing it right. They want to be the yeah. And I I think with all the talk of agile and everything, I think some people who are doing waterfall and maybe doing waterfall in a you know a somewhat logical or coherent or practical or pragmatic way, mm-hmm. they sometimes feel like you know, like they're doing it wrong because they're not using this new buzzword called agile. And when they go to a client and say, yeah, we're going to, we're going to take this kind of waterfall approach where we try to gather as much information as we can. We'll set a path, we'll do a roadmap and we'll go from there and we'll iterate within that. But because they said the word waterfall and everyone's all about agile, they're like, yeah, you you suck. Nobody does waterfall. Everyone's doing agile now. What are you? So I don't know. I, I feel like it's wrong to kind of demonize these words and to kind of create these buckets and act like, you know, there, there's nothing redeeming about any of it. it. It's still more than anything comes down to the right tool for the right job and knowing how to use that tool. True. What about specifically though on the that idea of you know you, you let's say you you've you've agreed that you want to be somewhat agile mm-hmm. um, without getting dogmatic about anything. Um, there's that word I was looking for. Dogmatic. dogmatic yeah. yeah. <laughs> dogmatic ad- adherence to yeah. you know to you know, whoever or whatever principles. Um. But how you know how comfortable are, how comfortable are you or how far can someone go out ahead or does that start to concern you if someone's like oh I'm gonna you know I'm not I'm not just gonna give you a, a mock up and then we get, we build that and then we'll do another mock up then we'll build that or when it gets to the point like oh no we're gonna do all the mock ups and then we're gonna give you the mock ups I mean obviously that's an extreme that that, that, that makes me it, nervous if someone came to me and it does happen I see it all client, the time no I see it all the time yeah. that's what they want to do and it's Well I'll tell you about my process cuz you kind of asked about that and for the way I work and for the things I do cuz I'm not I'm not a dedicated UI designer I just happen to enjoy doing UI design and so whenever a yeah. project comes up and they need someone to do that 
I I'm usually the one to do it. Right. You're a you're a you're a developer who's pretty good at design. Huh. Right. Well, I appreciate it. <laughs> I just I, it's just something I've I've had because well, lots of developers and I know I mean I know guys who can just engineer me out you know yeah out of, out of a job yeah. <laughs> literally um who, but who you would not want them to touch a UI at all yes yeah so there's 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 all different types we're all snowflakes John well not only that I mean I've met some that were like they, they just didn't care they didn't care about the UI it functioned they They're don't like get this, it. Yeah. you put the yep. thing in this box and you hit the button and it works what what's your problem. Like, Why does it have to have this nice gradient or this inset uh, looking 3D UI thingy or right. something? Um, so yeah, so I've seen that. But I, I tend to enjoy software that looks a certain way, that looks good, that feels good. It's, you know, it just, for me, it's, it's, it's part of the experience. It matters. Yeah. Design matters. Didn't Apple teach us that, if, anything, if nothing else? Uh, yeah, I guess they taught, they taught us some things and they, yeah. they failed at some things too. But. Oh, sure. They failed at a lot of things. <laughs> but I think in terms of the way I use mockups in, the, in those scenarios is a lot of times it's to help the client visualize where they want to go with something. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times there's this idea, there's this concept and no one, it's either their type of personality where maybe they're more visual than they are kind of, you know, being able to analytically think something through and, and say, yeah, that sounds right. Or that's going to get us where we need to go. Some people really need to see a visual. Uh, when you say most people do? I think so. I think so too. Yeah. It's really hard to reason about, you know, especially visual software, a software with user interfaces yeah. without seeing them. Yeah, so a lot of times, I mean, uh, for a client that that tends to kind of be wishy-washy, doesn't really under, know where they want to go, and and when we're asking questions, they're like, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, that sounds good. That's where I kind of like take a step back and go, well, maybe we should, maybe I should kind of do some mock-ups or something and let you kind of look at them and give me some feedback, because that'll save us time. Because if I start coding, you, you know, doing this whole back end to support this front end idea that I have in my head that may not match with what they have in their head, then we're, then we're right where we were talking about, which is I've gone ahead and scouted way ahead and now they finally see where we're at and they're like oh this is not what we thought yeah um so yeah i I tend to try to do smaller mock-ups like i don't try to boil the ocean and try to do an entire system i try to focus like say on a certain screen or a certain feature Um, in fact i'm doing one of those tonight for tomorrow is i'll be i'll be mocking up some features very focused features on on this one project uh and that's just to kind of give the client the option to decide on one. We're not even estimating. We're not even contracted to build anything. It's just, here's some options. Here's what we think we can do. Yeah. So um, I should just pulled up this, this article from, uh, from Mike. So one thing he says, like teams must be, he's got actually some high level points here. So teams must be comfortable with uncertainty. That's also something that's hard. Yeah. And I, that's, you know, it's something I, I try to coach uh, clients on. Um, it's just getting used to the uncertainty. Um, if we can get comfortable with that, comfortable enough at least to to start doing work on what's in front of our face, start doing work on the thing that's at the top of the backlog, knowing that there's a lot that we don't know about the things that are halfway down the backlog. Yeah. And there there are things we do know about them, but we're going to learn a lot more about them and everything we've worked on in between as we build this thing out. Mm-hmm. And to try to make all those, all these decisions up front or to try to think we need to do a, a big, um, I mean, I still get these BRDs, um, FRDs. I love all those acronyms. Uh, and, 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 and luckily, I mean, luckily, you know, the, the Agile Revolution, I mean, it, what is it, 30 years old now? I mean, there's, it's, it's actually hard to find people who, who are not at least dabbling with it. So even, even with you know, clients that are struggling or they're kind of new to it, they, even them, they, they, they tend to laugh and joke about the big BRDs and FRDs and stuff, which is nice because mm-hmm. some people still can't. They don't, they, 
that's the way they work. And 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 yeah. even even again, I mean, I think, I think we all struggle with this to some degree. Um, whether it's we're struggling to teach it, struggling to learn how to adapt it to a new client or new project. Every project is really different. I mean, because every team is different. Uh, well, for a lot of companies, it's part of the bureaucracy. It's part of getting a project approved and the checks and balances involved with that. Um, I've worked for some really large, extremely large enterprise companies, and it does start with those big documents. And, you know, someone has to come up with a, you know, some kind but of business, business requirements. Do- well, not, not even. No, no. Especially- it, it, not, not everywhere, but it no. is changing. That's what I'm saying. If if companies that that do have a top down buy in on a change in, on a working in a you know like agile process, mm-hmm. um, yeah they they've you know basically gotten approval from the top and the top is buying into you know we're not going to do we're not going to pretend we know everything up front because what we're going to do is we're going to admit that we don't so that we can minimize risk and increase our chances of ending up with a a valuable project at the end and it's well, I think I think. I agree with that. I'm not arguing against it. I'm just saying what, what I see with a lot of companies do, especially in terms of bureaucracy and, you know, there, there's way too many people involved and there's not a single person making a decision. And that happens a lot in enterprise because no one wants their, their name on it. Yeah. And so they shove it through this machine of bureaucracy where everyone has to write a document. Everyone has to approve that document. Everyone has to have a, that document has to go to a committee and yeah. that committee has to approve it, absolving everyone from, from any kind of risk. Don't or forget, any about, kind don't of, forget uh, about legal approval, John. Get, yeah, get, and yeah. legal approval, yes. <laughs> um, so I, I just, I see it more as a, this, the bureaucracy of risk mitigation, or at least, you know, to the point where who owns this is is just lost. Of course, and, and that, that touches on the um, the, uh, the dreaded pattern of of companies or people that use their legal department as the bad cop. I have to take you, my jacket off. The you, you ever get that? Cord is rubbing against my zipper. Yeah, but now you're now it's rubbing all over the mic. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to rub that on the mic. <laughs> um, but yeah, people that use their legal department as as, as the bad cop. And it's like, oh, well, you know, we can't do that because of legal sets. Legal set. And I'm like, you know what? Lingo is going to destroy your company if you let it. If that's what, listen, if, if that's what you've trained them, that's their job to do is to, is to require, you know, bad processes and, and, and require, you know, upfront uh, fixed contracts and things, then your competitors are going to kill you because well, not, a, and people are changing. They're not doing that anymore. It's not always about the money or even the fixed costs. I mean, I've seen this, this thing run through the machine, even where there really wasn't a budget. It was just this, they had this company that, that there's always a budget. It's just sometimes people don't are not upfront with it. Like the someone whoever's signing off on this or whoever's doing this or spearheading this, they they have a budget. They just they don't they're not telling you what it is. Yeah. Which uh, I get it, but that can it can the team can help you. A good team can help you if they know what their what their budget is, what their deadline is. People need dates. People need targets. I mean, what's the saying that? You know, well, it's a lack of trust. I mean, it's a lack of kind of partnership, I think, in a lot of cases. Maybe they have got this really big budget, but they don't want to tell you because they don't want you to eat up all that budget just because you can. But there are people like there who exist who will. They'll say, oh, we... we we'll can- make the budget smaller. Make the budget what you think that... Give the, give the team a challenging budget that would be hard to finish in. And, you know, give them something. You don't have to... You can set... I mean, if you've got... Uh, a, you know, let's say you've got... A, you have a $1 million budget. Yours, your annual budget. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you might have a project that's going to take that whole year, but you don't have to give them the whole budget. Maybe give them $300,000 if you think they can. You don't give them more than a lot more than what you think they're going to need. That doesn't make any sense. So Sounds like an agile approach to budgeting. 
there's a whole thing on. I mean, there's there's whole sub areas of study on you know agile budgeting, agile agile uh, contract and legal. I mean, there's it's all kinds of stuff. But I think anyway. more than anything, it's still boiling down to coming up with a starting point and iterating on that starting point until you get to to the end product. I mean, I don't, I don't think anything is any different than that. It's just how you collect that information and how you break it up. I mean, waterfall is is trying to gather more of that upfront right. and then you iterate as you go. Uh, Agile is is less about gathering up front and more just kind of reacting to things as you go, but iterating still within it. Uh, and well, I want to be clear though, because with with Agile, typically what and again, this may be an unfair characterization. Again, I'd have to go re- go back and read that paper again. By the way, Barry Hawkins, if you want to look this up, I think I've mentioned this before, but he did a talk a few years ago at I think at um, at ACM or something, or maybe it was um, I think it was Codemash. Is that what it's called? I can't remember. I think familiar. it's Codemash, yeah. but he about um about that that paper, that waterfall paper, and how we've really just abused it. Um, but in a waterfall, you know, it's you take each phase, right? And you do, mm-hmm. you complete one entire phase first. So you might complete, you know, your a design or like a requirements phase, right? And then when that's a business requirements phase, then you might, once you're done with that and that's signed off on, then you waterfall into the uh, technical design phase, Right? And then mm-hmm. you, you, that's where you design all the database tables and what all the APIs are going to be, what the screens are going to look, look like, where the buttons are going to go, all everything, right? So that's your technical design. And then maybe your next, maybe your next uh, waterfall is, um, you know, build. Usually, right? You know, and now we're going to build it. We're going to build the thing we designed in the previous. And then at the end. Uh, we'll we'll have a testing phase where we're going to test everything that we that we built perfectly to the perfect plan. <laughs> so I don't know. Well, if you, I, think, I think that's a very simple view of waterfall, but I mean it's. I mean I think that's it's, the, it's a very serialized version of it. I, it, it there's, I, I there's, think waterfall is serialized. That's that's the point. It's it's not. You're, I, think I, think it's, I think that's the way we've done it. We've, well, that's why I'm even saying, with agile, but, yeah. we're very serial with it. It's it's you know people tend mm-hmm. to think in serialization they, they it's rare that they branch off into parallel asynchronous operations it's just weird everything we do is is somewhat this well, step 1 step 2 step 3 cuz that's how you make it that's how you rationalize it for people to understand it kind of i mean and in agile i mean you're still going to do you're still going to have serial steps but you're going to you're going to take a story or a or a use case or whatever your unit of of work is here and you're going to you're going to do all those you're going to do those steps right you're gonna you're gonna design the UI and you're gonna like. But in order, a to, in order to have steps, you have to know what those steps are. You, it, it, I mean, do you just have kind this? of kind of? But each story can have different steps. That this is also why, like you again, right tool for the job. Like don't apply the same steps for every story because some stories are gonna need four of these steps. Some are gonna need six of these steps. I, just, you know? I think that's how things start to go wrong. I think people start trying to create these linear paths of step one, step two, step three, and everything has to fit in within that bucket. And no, they and, don't. That's what I'm saying. That's your if you if that's the case, then you're not doing it right. And that that is a bad way to do it. I mean, like I said, step each, one, have a scrum meeting. Step two, uh, set up your weekly scrums. And step three, assign work. Step four, get statuses. Step, I mean, it's just, it's very formulaic. And I, I think I think that's the problem with a lot of our projects these days is we try to apply this formula to them so that it's somewhat stable and predictable. Uh, and I think that's a detriment. Hmm. Okay. I mean, so, we're talking about so no formula, no process, no. I'm not saying no okay. process. I say I can't tell what you're. I can't actually. I cannot tell what you're arguing for. Like more serious. <laughs> what I'm saying is, is, is when I when I hear these concepts that come up, especially agile, which which is kind of to me comparative to to waterfall and the way we've done waterfall, it's kind of like this wild west chaotic thing where 
you're not supposed to know what what the end thing is. You're supposed to iterate to get to the end, and the end is not set. You you say it's done when it's done, or whenever you get to a point where you're like, yeah, it's done. Exactly. Yeah. Actually, um, I'm I kind of am I'm on board with that. But what I feel people do because of nature or human nature or bureaucracy of the way business runs is they don't like not knowing where it's going to be. They don't like knowing that it's not going to be done. So they they try to stick this linear process to it. They take the concepts of agile and then shove it into this box. And this box has a as an input and an output. And it's all got to fit within there and it's all got to kind of turn away in that inside that box. And so in order to make sure it comes out the right way, they put their steps and they put their processes around it and they start linearizing things so they can get some kind of predictable formula so they can adjust, they can what modify. They, they can, I'm, just, I'm really struggling to follow you here. I, I, I don't understand your it box. Goes back to ri- I don't understand it goes what back we're linearizing. To risk mitigation. It goes back to someone at some point saying, how's that project doing? Are we on track to meet this date? Are we able to do this? And so they have to have their steps so they can predict, so they can say, okay, well, if we meet this step, if, if sprint one goes well, then yes, we'll meet our date. If sprint two goes bad, we're never going to make it. You know, they want those predictors. Yeah. And because in order to get those predictors, you have to have some formulaic way of calculating how you get from point A to point D. Well, you don't. And and so my that's the thing I always uh, try to talk about is that, you know, we don't, we first of all, we don't know what done is. I mean, it, there may be some things that are like, okay, we, we know, we kind of know what's a, like in an MVP or what is baseline, but there's all kinds of stuff that, you know, we're not sure if it's going to get in. We're not sure if the business is, is even going to want it yet. You know, um, there's all there's all kinds of uncertainty. But again, it's it's like being comfortable with uncertainty. Well, answer, also, answer this for me then. How many products have you started that just don't have an end, where the client says, "Yeah, we're going to do this." I don't I don't ever hear that. I hear, you know, we got this new sales conference. We want to be able to release this product, uh, you know, in two months, or we have this this. Uh, application or this conference we want to meet and it's got to be done by this date or you know there's a defined start and end so how do you apply agile to something that has has a deadline you it's called a time box and you just and you might you, again you might know what you have to get in that and that's fine and you, you can work to that there's nothing there's nothing about agile that says you can't work towards you can't have goals have you got certain functionality it's just it's just getting there it's the well, how do you how do you apply some kind of predictor, some kind of analysis to know that you're on track for that? You estimate. You, there's all kinds of ways you can estimate stories. You can do story points. You have burn down charts that show you actually based on the work you've identified where you're going to end up on the calendar. And, and how do you how do you create that chart of work that needs to be done? You have a backlog. You do backlog. Right? And where does that backlog come from? Your products. Your your product owner. So you're just describing waterfall to me. He's, you had at some point you had to fill up this this backlog. No, no, John, you had to fill out this task list of things. This, that is, have to this get is why done. you don't do agile. You don't understand it. We're, <laughs> we are not doing a full. We're not doing. We're not spending six weeks on requirements and then six weeks on design. We're not doing any of that. We're not doing waterfall. But we still know. We still have a good idea. We still have a. You're doing that on a smaller scale, though. We know. I'm sure. Yeah. When you when you take a story, right? You're mm-hmm. going to spend. You might spend an hour talking about what it needs to do. And you might spend two hours figuring out what database tables you need. Mm-hmm. Right. But you're doing this in very small pieces. Yeah. Okay. That's exactly what Agile is. No one says it's not. You. It's not that you don't have any design. You don't talk about design or you don't talk about what it should do or you don't do mock-ups or you don't do tests. You do all those things. Yeah. I'm, I'm not arguing that, that that's just, the case. I'm just saying at that smaller scale, yeah. there, there's no way, there's no predictor from based on that smaller scale to know where you're going to be three months from now. There is, because you have a backlog, which is full of a bunch of epics, which each you've, atta- you've worked but with. But you the- haven't, there's things you haven't even talked about yet. 
maybe you've started your no. maybe you started your build and you've built John, your back end. But John, you, you are you telling me that when you finish your BRD, <laughs> your six weeks on a BRD, that you know when you're going to finish? Of course you don't. Yeah, because they that's told us when we're going to finish. That's what those all fail. Because they told us when we're going to finish. You know what? And and so this is why we've all we've all admitted to ourselves that that is a giant charade, and it it fails seventy percent of the time. We show we're, something at that point in time. What's that? As something gets shown at that point in time. At what point? The deadline. The go live date. It either gets pushed or we do something. Yeah, I'm saying that it's it, again, unless you're unless you're you know thinking that unless you're advocating for waterfall, you know, people don't like that. No, I'm, not, I'm not advocating. It, it's for, hard to find people who are out there advocating for for you know I'm not, waterfall process. I'm not advocating for waterfall. What I'm saying is that it's getting broken, and it's broken by this need to re, to mitigate risk there, and and to have predictors within that project that will tell you whether or not you're going to meet your deadline, yeah. whether or not you're going to stay on so, budget. So you know what? Here, here's here's the I think it, the hard thing that we have to we have to process. we have to all be adults and understand is that there's nothing that's going to tell you whether or not your project is going to finish in the way you want on time but you have people that that's their only job is to be this this overhead this manager who do nothing but manage a bunch of uh gantt charts to try to predict if you're on track i don't don't do gantt charts i don't i'm just saying about that i'm not talking about Uh, you in general i'm not talking about agile or true agile i'm saying the way people do projects Mm -hmm. the way the way they take these concepts and try to apply the good parts of it yeah quote unquote good parts okay and bastardize it with these concepts of I need to know when this is going to get finished and this has to get finished and this sprint has well, to hey, Agile sprint. still does that, John. Agile still talks about when are we going to get this finished or we've got this date. Okay. Which is why we do backlog grooming, which is why we estimate stories, which is why we have burn down charts so we can see if we're on target for a certain date. We've identified these eight epic stories. Mm-hmm. And we, by, based on our rate, and as we're accomplishing things, we it gets plotted out on a burn down, burn down chart, and you see where it's going to land. I mean, is it is it a guarantee you're going to land there? No, because you know stories four and five might take you twice as long as what you thought, and then you have to have tough to, tough conversations about okay, we're it looks like we're not going to finish all the stuff we thought we were going to in that in that timeline. What do we do? What do we cut? What can we live without? Well, so, so what, here, what can we you, change? When you say epic stories, what you're describing to me, or at least what it, the way it sounds, are milestones. Or you, you and, can, if, and if they're if they're milestones, then they're they're basically phases of a project. No, no, they are not phases, John. It's functionality. And it, back again, back to waterfall. If we were doing waterfall, mm-hmm. all of those epic stories, we would do all the BRDs for them up front, all of them. Yeah, and then we do, we do all the design, all the UI mockups, and the and the database tables and the APIs. We do we do all that up front for all of those mm-hmm. before we even built the step one yet, before we even built anything, right? Yeah. That's waterfall. We're not, we're, I'm, I'm talking about that. I'm just talking about, you know, you have an idea of what, of the product owner has an idea of what the product needs to do. And so you break those up in just a real big course, coarsely def, uh, factored functionality and you give them just a, a name or like a, as a user, I can enter a prescription. Right mm-hmm. or something like that. Some you know something obviously has a lot of stories that will will be broken up in, up into. But then again, you you estimate those and you just um, you're not designing them though. You're not doing the mockups. You're you're just putting you're just recognize them and putting them in the backlog so that you've got enough so that you can plan so that you can estimate and and so that you can track your progress against your plan. And this is this is one thing I think people get confused about agile. And I think you said this. It's like they throw out 
all kinds of, they, uh, like they don't do any, they don't do any design. They don't do any planning. They don't do any documenting. And that's not necessarily what Agile is. You still plan. You still estimate. You still have budgets. You still have dead, deadlines that can't be moved in some cases, right? Um, you still document things that need to be documented. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think you document near as much, but you still document things that need to be documented in order to facilitate communication amongst the team so that we're actually building the right thing. Yeah. Um, I, I still think it comes down to what you were saying earlier is getting companies to find some level of comfort with the unknown with that amount of risk. It's yes. like that amount well, of uncertainty. It's getting them to admit that their giant BRD yes. is nothing but a bunch of unknown. It's a bunch of BS. Yeah. And, and if you can get them to admit that, and, and people that have been through those projects where they've seen them fail, um, they, they get it. Because the, the problem is, is people, they, people get way too confident in that plan. No, I don't think the, so. The worst thing about a big, big, thick plan is it looks like it looks it looks authoritative. It looks it like, oh my god, yeah. that team spent the they look at all was, this work exactly, they did. exactly, and look how detailed it is. Oh my trees god, they killed. Dude, look at this, like section one dot a dot f dot sub section two dot five. It's like it's it's extremely. It's like a it's like a you know it's like the IRS code. It's so <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it, so it looks like it must be right. So people work so hard on that, and it's so detailed. And the truth is, it's so it couldn't be more wrong. In almost all cases, it couldn't be more wrong. Yeah, and I, I think my only point, point in somewhat of my devil's advocacy here is that I, I think I think that's the real issue is that people aren't comfortable with that, and you know, for one reason or another, they don't they don't want to be comfortable with that. Well, and this, because their job is on the line if they're, if they're comfortable with that. So I've got a project right now where the the I guess the sponsors are not comfortable with any any kind of upfront promises. And they, they're basically requiring Agile. And, then, and in fact, it's funny because I think they probably like read something about Agile in a, in a, from a seat back, back pocket of a, of a in-flight magazine or something. <laughs> but enough to know that, that they, don't want, they don't want a waterfall approach. They don't trust it. They've been burned. They've been burned. That's what it is. And so they want proof. They want, it, they want iterative proof that this thing can be built. And uh, which is great. I'm glad. That's that's exactly. I mean, it's that it's that kind of need that creates the um, that creates the the idea of having diff- of a of a different kind of process. One, yeah, that, I mean, one where you're where you're actually mitigating risk. You're actually delivering business value on week one. You know, de- deployable software it may only be a small piece, but like you're you're actually validating your assumptions. You're validating the assumptions that the database is going to talk to the API the way you thought it would, and that there's not going to be some driver issue. And like, you know what I mean? You're you're validating mm-hmm. all those things as you go instead of just piling all the risk at the end of the project. Right. So I don't know. This is one of those things I can I feel like can be talked about forever and ever and ever. And we always get into these. I I actually I tend to that to be like a five minute conversation. We end up talking about it for. You know, a long time, but anyway, that's always fun. I mean, it's it's a it's a constantly challenge, and especially you know the, with that type of work that, that I think probably you and I both do. You know, you're you're you work on a project for a while, but then it's either done or in my case, I mean, like you you asked earlier about you know have you ever had a project where it wasn't done, right? It just goes on. In fact, I mean, one of the projects I worked on for for a couple of years. I mean, we I mean I. Uh, worked on this project. It was it was a decent sized team. Um, it's probably half a dozen people, um, it, it, on average, at any, any point mm-hmm. in time. But I mean, I you know I think it was. 
I helped them get that process going, get the tools in place and all that to, to, to do Agile. It was a huge success. And I ended up, you know, a couple of years later, just basically rolling myself off of that project. I mean, I helped them, I helped, you know, hire people, you know, for them, get the right people in place, all the tools. And I just kind of, and I was ready to move on, but I kind mm-hmm. of, I was like, okay, you know, kind of ended up walking away. But that's an, it's an ongoing thing. It still is, yeah. still is going to this day. And it's, and we had deadlines. I mean, throughout that two-year period, we had all kinds of deadlines. Um, they were that were business driven that could not be moved. Like this is not going to move. You're not going to, you know. I'm trying to think of an example. I mean, you're not going to change when school starts. You're not going to change when Congress votes. You're not going to whatever things that I'm not trying to th- failing to think of examples. You're not going to change <laughs> when daylight saving starts or whatever. You know, but more businessy things. Mm-hmm. Um, so just get done what you can get done or, you know, here's what we need done. And if we can't, then we need to have like an emergency conversation about, okay, how do we, how do we get some, something done that is in some way acceptable or whatever. And usually, I mean, you know, teams get better over time. They start out, it, any team at the beginning, it's, it's tough unless you're just nothing but like seasoned pros on your team, but that's, right. you know, never the case <laughs> in the real world. And so it's always tough getting started. You have no idea, people, there's people of so many different levels of, of experience with, with uh, working on, you know, like an agile project or even a soft, any kind of software project, um, and you've got, uh, uh, I don't know, just, yeah, different levels of experience and and different levels, different opinions. I mean, some people, you know, you know, people are arguing, oh, we should do this. No, we should do this one or this one or, you know, XP is old. Let's do Scrum. Let's do, you know, con- you know that's uh, actually those are both old day. Let's do uh, what's the late? I guess Kanban is the kind of the whatever, or just almost no product or crystal or whatever. I mean, everyone's got different things, but it takes, a, it takes a team a while to figure out, you know, what's their, what's your uh, velocity going to be? How much, how much, how much can we get, how much work can we get done in a, you know, if you're doing sprints or cycles, whatever, in a, in a cycle, you don't know, you don't know at first. And you, so you don't know if you've got a, if you got a, some kind of date that's three months out, you got to hit, well, it's like, you got to start, you just got to start somewhere. You, you do take an estimate, you do an estimate, mm-hmm. you plan something and you put a, put a stake in the sand. And then you then you start working and you see and you adjust as you go. Are we going to be able to fit all this in? Maybe the team is killing it, and it's like, well, God, we're going to be done two weeks early. Well, let's you know, add some more things in. I know in Scrum you're not supposed to do that. It's kind of one thing I don't. I never warmed up to Scrum. It's like, wow, we're done, and we have like half of the sprint time left. But we finished everything we thought. We finished everything that we thought we would need to be able to get done. And so then you just like, I don't know what do you do. You're not supposed to end the sprint early. You know, you're not and you're not supposed to like pull more work into it. Really? <laughs> so I, n- I never quite understood that. Anyway, concurrent work and agile. That's always, uh, I'm dealing with that. It's always a fun topic. Yep. Um, so we have quite a bit to talk about this week. Um, oh, do we really? God, yeah. shouldn't have shouldn't have brought that topic up. Shouldn't have. No. That's, right. that's one of those uh, fire thingies. You're not supposed to yell fire. You're not supposed to yell agile on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't yell agile on a podcast. Uh. <laughs> That's good advice. Yeah. We should put a disclaimer up front. Hey, if you don't care about this, fast forward to, you know, minute 46. <laughs> well, we had like <clears throat> one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight uh, topics from the community this week. Oh my gosh. Wow. Uh, some of them are just awesome. kind of comments and ideas for topics. Well, we um, might want to, you know, um, bank some of those too for when we don't get any topics. I don't know. I kind of feel like people take the time to send them to us, so we should take the time to to respond to them. Well, obviously, that's not a scalable thing, so we can't always promise that you know your your topic's going to get in the very next show. 
That's true. Don't you see that a lot? A lot of the, a lot of other podcasts, they'll have just have a giant bank, and they'll be answering questions from four months ago. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, for those of you who feel slighted because Jeremy banked your topic, uh, <laughs> hey, maybe that means it's better. That doesn't write, that doesn't mean write it's not a good. bad review to him oh, at info true. at gooddaysterpodcast yeah. Go give us one star on iTunes. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get to them. All right. Well, this one, this one's kind of a, a quickie. Um, Having binged on the, this is from Anonymous, of course. Uh, having binged on the last seven or so episodes this week, you should rename the podcast John Makes Wild Assertions and Jeremy Corrects Him. <laughs> oh, yeah. You told me this earlier, and you and yeah. I couldn't decide if they, if he got our names mixed up. I know. <laughs> he I'm or like, she. You make assertions. I know. I, I do. fix your. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, then I was like, I actually, you know, I think we're probably both guilty yeah. of that. I mean, I think we both do some of that. Maybe that's maybe that's why the show. But then it made works. me think. You know, I wonder if how many times people do flip our names because we don't really officially no. announce ourselves. Yeah, I mean, I'm so, John. In case you didn't know that. Yeah, I'm Jeremy. <laughs> okay, we shouldn't do that. <laughs> I'm Jeremy, and I'm John. The goofy guy is John. Am I the goofy one? I don't know. Probably right. not. Um, this one, I think we should bank. This one's a lot about security. Um, so I think we will bank this one because I think there's a lot to talk about here in terms of security. Uh, so up getting, to my into, banking idea. <laughs> getting into the app exchange and check marks and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I think that deserves a much lengthier conversation than a quick, you know, Q&A. Probably so. And aren't you glad I gave you license to bank, John? I'm going to use it. It's still your idea. <laughs> so you're still in trouble. Um, okay. This one's kind of a long read. I'll try to get through as quickly as I can. Uh, also anonymous, I was curious about force, Force's API versioning. God, I hate that wording. Uh, backstory is I'm still pretty new to Salesforce development. I was spending time really trying to use Eclipse as a daily IDE. I recently had the need to create a new Apex class. The new file wizard I noticed only permitted me only version 38 on the very la- very latest version of the force.com plugin. Yep, been there. Uh, current Given the current API version is uh, actually 41, this makes me wonder a couple of things. Uh, question one, I'm still thinking of diving in on Illuminated Cloud. Does it track API similarly? Um, example given, is it off-cycle or current? Um, so yeah, the, the it was weird. The force.com IDE or the plugin for Eclipse was really weird. Like Salesforce would only update it when there was a significant change in the API that needed it. You could still target a later version in your code, but they wouldn't always release a new update. So you could be, it could still default to like version 38, but they wouldn't update the plugin because there was no major changes in, in language itself that would warrant a change. It was always weird. So it never really was on track with the cycles. And we have to figure out what what are we what version of what? Are you talking about version and, and I I'm being I'm being rhetorical here, so I'll yeah. get into it. Like you're talking about version, what version of the API? The, yeah. the, that API endpoint? I omitted, about, I, I omitted in parentheses he has the the release. So like winter seventeen release, the winter eighteen release. Let so. me finish this. Are you talking about version of like your Apex class or your visual force? Because a lot of these things have versions too, mm. which is a different refers to a different thing. They, of course, the version of an API and the version of an Apex class, they're, they're both targeted to a certain release of Salesforce. Mm-hmm. But using the version 38 API, you can deploy an Apex class that targets version 40. Right. So, you may not be as... If, you, if don't, you're, don't confuse anyone, Jeremy. <laughs> I know, it, no, it's very confusing. Thanks, Salesforce. I mean, listen, this... this don't get me started on Salesforce's, this whole model, their cloud model where you don't have anything local and it's super confusing. There's no local engine. There's no local compiling. Like just getting stuff in, you're getting your stuff into Salesforce is, requires more engineering than the stuff itself does. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it's just it, this is it's it's such a mess. It's such they've they've backed themselves into the biggest proprietary cloud corner that there is. And this is what we deal with is how confusing this crap is. And just again, understanding it and getting ourselves into Salesforce. But yeah, you can just because your Eclipse is maybe behind, it's at 39. You can actually, if there's some feature in Visual Force 41 that you need, mm-hmm. I believe you can still create. Yeah. Um, now, Eclipse might default to version 38, but you just go into the meta XML file and change that to 40. And you can, using, because Eclipse is going to use the version 38 API to deploy that, it'll still attempt to, it'll, it'll still send that, uh, when you deploy that Visual Force over. Mm-hmm. And, you know, can, assuming it's okay, it will it will be accepted. It'll be a, it'll be a, a version forty. You can use version forty Visual Force features in that in that page. Um, but to just pop up a notch, I don't think that Salesforce has done a. Uh, they've never they've never updated it like every release. It's it yeah. it would get two or three releases behind. Yeah. Um, of course, Illuminated Cloud is very much on top of all these things, and you'll you'll. I mean, it's. Well, a lot to be fair, a lot of the newer IDEs are so like you have the limited cloud, the Welkins, right, right. the um, I don't know, Mavens at the time they were pretty up to date. Well, Mavens, I think Mavens, Mavens was, was kind of yeah. slipping, yeah. slipping get, a bit. Get what you pay for. Yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mean, uh, I know I can speak for limited cloud. I mean, you'll you'll have the latest version before it's even out for production. I think he'll he'll be supporting this before it's before you can even deploy to production on it. So, yeah. So uh, part two of his questions, uh, when Salesforce releases a new API, do you make sure you're to update your code? Uh, yes, I, yeah, he, he goes in parentheses, yes, I said your code, Jeremy, <laughs> to the latest API version. Kind of curious thoughts on philosophy and convention of folks do WRT latest and greatest API version. Uh, okay, so I, I think what well, he's trying to ask. Can read that question again? You just kind of mumbled through that. I know, because it was kind of, it's, kind of broken up really weird. So I think the question, I'm going to rephrase it, is okay. that um, as new versions come out, do you go back to your other code and update the version? So you wrote a class and it was on version 38 and now it's 41 and do you go in and try to change your, your version yeah. number? So my answer to that is, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. <laughs> because there, as soon as you change, you know, you might not change anything about your, you know, you might have an Apex class that's at version, you know, 28, right? Um, as soon as you, you might just, you know, you think, oh, I'm just going to, I need to go update those to 40 or whatever. Yeah. Well, you're actually going through a different code pass on Salesforce's server now. Uh, and you now need to retest everything. Yeah. Right? Because, sorry for, sorry for saying right all the time. I don't know why I do that. Right? Why right. am I doing that? Right. Oh, it's right. such a bad habit. Um, yeah, you're going to a different code pass. So you're, you really should retest everything. I mean, if you, if your code works against version 28, you know, there could be little um, nuances. There might, might, be, might be even bugs that your code depends on, right? Salesforce bugs that you depend on. And if you change it to a newer version and that bug isn't there anymore, you, that might, actually could break your code. So right. uh, there's really no, there's no, I don't think there's any real reason to do that. I, I don't know. I'd have to have, you know, maybe someone who knows more about this than I do. But is there a performance benefit to going through and updating, you know, bringing all of your Apex classes and Visual Force pages and things up to a more recent version? I don't think so. I mean, I think the only time I've ever had to go back and update something is, and I'm sorry, but Salesforce support tier one, tier two, they suck. And one of the questions they ask is, what version is your code on? And if you're not on the latest version, they want you to compile and get to the latest version so that before they help you. It's stupid things like that because they don't understand it. Well, that also proves that Salesforce doesn't really support the older versions like they like, yeah. they like to lead on that they do. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, a lot of times if you're 
asking for if you happen to have premier support that does for some reason offer developer support and you go to ask them a question or try to report a bug you know one of the things they will ask you is to update your class to the latest version and see if it's still an issue that type of stuff yeah <clears throat> so but yeah i mean I, I don't either i don't go back and update it it's it's not really productive well, and it's really no reason and, to and think about i mean there's other there's other things you can really get yourself into problems with think about um the first version of uh, what are they called global pick lists the the Oh, yeah. The metadata, or the, it was called literally in the code, was like global pick list, right? And so you might write some code against that. If you were to later, and let's say that was version 36, when that, the first version of that feature came out. Mm-hmm. The immediate, I don't, I don't know what the exact versions are, numbers are, but I do know that the immediate next release of Salesforce, they renamed global pick list to values or value, set. value sets, yeah. right? And the global pick list wasn't even a thing anymore. I mean, that, that term, that, that keyword, the name of that metadata item wasn't even a thing anymore. So if you just bumped your version up and just attempted to save your your code, it's not going to save. It's going to say, yeah. oh, what global pick list? That's not a thing. And it probably won't even tell you, oh, by the way, we, we renamed that value set. It probably won't even tell you that. <laughs> right. It's just going to say, no, that's not a thing. You're crazy. I don't know what you're thinking. <laughs> so no, I don't think there's any reason to. I mean, that, that's, that's some... Um, that's some serious yak shaving, I think, going back and updating all your versions. I could be wrong. I mean, if people, I would, again, like to hear if there's some performance reason to bring those forward. And, and at some point, you start worrying, like, man, I've got things that are like version 17. Like, does that still work well? Yeah. I mean, is anyone testing that old crap, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, if, I can see how it bothers the OCD types out there. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, well, I'll tell you, I did entertain that at some point. You know, I did entertain the idea, should I be doing this? I mean, it's it's something that people do think about. It's not like, it's not a question that that's not common. I don't think I've ever had a, a client that would have valued me spending time like that, though. Yeah, it's true. I'd have to make a case for it. Well, actually, you're going to have a lot of performance or security or some kind of problems if we don't keep these up today. Then, I mean, okay. Yeah. But I don't have a good reason to, so. And there's really no easy way to do it. I mean, because it, it might actually be easier to do it in the UI because you have to actually modify the metadata class and then save and upload that and then deploy that. And that's that's just weird. I mean, you could you could do something just quick and dirty, like almost like a global you, find yeah. and replace. And yeah, because you could access the file directly and then just push it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, the meds. It's the dash meta.xml files that a lot of these metadata types have. Yeah, which thankfully get hidden by most IDEs. You can, by the way, like if you use IntelliJ or Eclipse, you can you can hide those. And I keep a lot of times. Well, the first version of Limited Cloud did not, so they were in there, and I had to manually modify the project scope to hide them. Yeah, I used to do that too. I forgot about but, that. But uh, yeah. the later versions, they're hidden yeah. by default. So and Eclipse nice. has that has always had that feature. Yeah. Yeah, I generally operate in that mode where I don't see them. And every once in a while, I have to flip that back on so I can, mm-hmm. if I need to you know, change some version. Well, I don't even do that because if you use the the hot, the hot typing hotkeys, so like, what is it? Shift command zero or O. 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 Yeah, just like to search, find, find any file basically. Yeah. yeah. And you can just like type in your class name and you'll see the XML version. You can just yeah. hit enter and oh. pop it open. So, all right, next one. Good tip, John. I got a lot of good tips. Thanks for the question, by the way. Uh, this is also anonymous. Man, no one wants to be near. <laughs> Can you revisit the topic around my code? Oh. Have either of you, but particularly John, changed your process since you had that conversation? As part of an implementation partner, I'm not the one writing the SOW and interested if I should bring it up internally to ensure we are covering ourselves correctly and don't end up in court down the road. Uh. Oh, I think I think we're talking about owner IP and ownership here. Yeah. Okay. I don't. Hmm, I'm not. I don't know that we've changed. I don't. I, I don't, certainly. I don't think I've had any change of heart or change of thought on this. I mean, any implementation partner. You're. I mean, if you're. 
you're doing work on behalf of, uh, even outside of software. I mean, anytime you do, you have a client, you're doing work on behalf of them. If it's something that's, you know, intellectual property or there's some kind of work product or output, I mean, it should be clear who owns that. Mm-hmm. And particularly, I mean, just because software is so sticky, it's such a nasty legal IP thing, right? I mean, look, look at, uh, God, I'm doing it again, but anyway, uh, look at all the, what do they call the, um, the patent trolls and things. Mm-hmm. So be very clear in your contracts. It should be in your it should be in your master services agreement. That should be like the default. And then of course you have a specific SOW that overrides that or something. Okay, for for some reason you agree to do some kind of code sharing or like someone else is going to own it and license it or whatever. But in in general, like it should just be in your template. That and I think the general thing is I mean generally like work anytime you're doing someone's paying you to build something they own it by mm-hmm. if you didn't and and probably every state could potentially be different on this so uh, i wouldn't i wouldn't let it default to, to the state whatever the, the you know or maybe it's even federal too i'm not sure i would be clear about i would i would spell it out that you know we the work we do is work for hire unless otherwise stated you know any code uh schemas documentation that we generate while we're working for you on your behalf is you you know you own we don't own it you own it and I'm not a lawyer, so maybe you know, get a lawyer to review that too. But something like that is like that's generally how things work. And I know some people work in different ways. Like, but if you, you know, if you think that the work a client's paying you to do that you own that code, then you need to make sure your client understands that too. And that's that's been agreed to. I think more than anything, that's that's the key is just to obviously get a professional lawyer to <laughs> to do the T's and C's on that. But um, uh, yeah, just making sure everyone understands the rules of engagement. Um, I think when we talked about my code, it it was more about it was less about IP and more about um kind of my usage my usage of snippets and things like that and you know who owns that and all that kind of stuff and I, I don't I still don't know the answer to that. Yeah, there, there's always the little gray areas. Like it's like yeah. really this one line of code I can't you know I have to like I have clean to, room it. I mean, come on, you know it's it, it can it can seem ridiculous, but you know if you follow the um, the Oracle Google lawsuits or some of these other kind of famous cases. I mean, it, it gets it gets down to that level. And w- are you likely to ever end up in that? Probably not. I mean, it's probably very unlikely. But, and, you know, it, it, it's a, it just depends. I mean, imagine you're, um, I'm just going to pick, imagine you're working for a, um, mm, let's just say insurance, just generically, insurance company, and they're paying you to build a, um, uh, a what do you call it? Uh, an actuarial system that helps them build policies and price things. Mm-hmm. Well, that's core to their business. That's core to their value add. If you were to take that work you built for them, and then help one of their competitors, or even even a even a company in a different in a different type of insurance, when they might not be happy with that. Yeah, and, that, and obviously that's an extreme yeah. case. That's you're taking the whole thing. So I don't know. I would say just it's take some judgment, but. I well, it, it is it like, is an odd gray area, and I don't really want to get into it too much more than that. But I think there's other scenarios where maybe the client doesn't know how to solve a problem, and you help them solve a problem with your expertise. But who owns that now? Well, did they pay you to help them with it? Yeah. And did you write some code? Well, uh, let's let's just say you know they're like, oh, we need a way to calculate this. We we don't we're not really sure they're exactly the right way to do it. And you're like, oh, I know how to do that. I just do this, this, this. Well, now and did you wait? wait and, did you write code when you did that? Did or what did you do? What is this, 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 and this? Um. Let's say I, I wrote a formula for them, okay, <laughs> and and that's that became how they calculate this discount price. Like you wrote something. it in code and like some programming language. Yeah, I just wrote it on paper and said, "Here's here's a okay. formula." I don't know if that. I mean, that that potentially could be if they paid you to do that. that I mean, that, that's intellectual property. I think a formula probably. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, for example, look at FICO, that's the credit score, which mm-hmm. everyone loves, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> they, that's a super secretive proprietary formula they used for that. Now, there are other, every, every, all the three main credit bureaus, this is an American thing, sorry guys. Um, they have their own credit scoring system that is basically designed to try to mimic FICO as much as possible, but they don't know what, I can't remember which one even owns FICO, but they don't, they don't know for sure what goes into FICO. It's like this, it's like the recipe to Coke. Mm-hmm. They approximate the result, yeah. Yeah. So if, if, if you know, if Coke were to have, to have come to you and said, hey, John, we want to come up with Coke, you know, version two. Um, can you do a, can you, we want you to pay you because you're such, you're so awesome with recipes. We want to pay you to d- formulate a recipe for us. And you're like, oh, okay. Um, sure. Uh, here's, here, I did the work. Here's the recipe. They own that. Probably. Or you should well, be, no, it, you should be clear. You should be should very be clear, clear who owns he, that. Here, here's another yeah. example. You remember when, um, uh, was it Ellen DeGeneres took, did that selfie at that, um, award ceremony? And she, she was meant to take it with her phone, but she didn't. Like one of the other guys, I forgot what he, what his name was. He grabbed the phone and he took the selfie yeah. for them because so he, he had a longer photo. reach. And then it came out. Well, technically, he owns that yeah. picture because he took it, even though it was her phone and all this kind of stuff. So I mean, it's it's crazy. It is. It is crazy. Yeah. Um, but, so, anyways, uh, part two to this question because okay. I want to end that okay. <laughs> is: uh, um, Can you post an address that we can send you some whiskey or other beverages? I feel like I owe you all a few bottles for the hours and hours of entertainment you have provided me. We can. Uh, where should we put? We should put the the studio address. I don't see why not. Yeah, it'll only be good for a few months. Oh, that's true. Well, that, maybe not. <laughs> I don't know. It depends on if we can work out a continuing lease agreement here. Yeah, yeah, we're we're kind of in limbo here, but um, we'll post it in the Slack. I'll put it in the Slack. Okay. No worries. Let me. I need to. Someone remind me to do that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next one. Uh, also from anonymous. Uh, it says, hey, I've heard you mention a few times on the podcast about just not having a way to retrieve all metadata in an org. Uh, the VS Code extension called Force has this quick uh, screencast. Have you tried it? Seems like it missed a few things on my first try, but it's a step in the right direction. Um, I, yeah, I think that... Can you read the first question? I was zoning when you <laughs> read, read the first part of that. It says, have you... Um, I've heard you mention a few times on the podcast about just not having a way to retrieve all metadata in an org. Um, yeah, I, I think that's a little bit confusion because there is a way to get all metadata, but not everything is in the metadata. That's the confusion. Yeah, for example, um, it's, it's, you can, right? You can write, I think anyway, I think you could probably build a package.xml that gets everything. The problem is, is what's involved in doing that. And the fact that a lot of the tooling doesn't support this. So the, and, and a lot of it is, is it revolves around the, uh, the foldered items that you can, and the items you can't do like an asterisk on, right? So for example, uh, custom objects, what well, there's, a, so there's a, there's a metadata app called custom object, which includes standard objects. Mm-hmm. You know, sorry, I don't control this. <laughs> um, but you can't do. I don't think you, you, you can't do an asterisk uh, retrieve with those. You have to right. uh, for the. Uh, no, I'm sorry. For the standard objects, you can't. You have to name the standard objects in the right. package.xml. So how do you get those? Well, you can do. You can do additional metadata calls to to list what those are. It gets really more difficult on foldered items because then you have to. I think you have to go through every folder and list all the things. Uh, and so again, the. The problem is finding a, a tool to do this. Now, for example, one of the, I'll give you an example. I think Eclipse probably does okay at this. I mean, Eliminated Cloud is very good at this. So it will actually do all those for you. It'll do, you might not realize it, but when you look at your 
like your subscription list or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's doing all these all these queries to get all these different things, and it's. I think there's even more. It gets even trickier if you when managed packages are involved, getting the contents of those as well, because you probably need those. Because again, here's the problem: you may have a, an object that's from a managed package, so it's a managed mm-hmm. custom object. But you're a lot of times you need to add your own fields to that, and you totally can. That's that's a supported thing that you need to do: add your own custom fields to those. Well, now you need to be tracking these elements from your managed packages. Right, and so getting those. I mean, again, and the problem is like the the like the ant tool, the what's it called, the force migration toolkit or whatever. Mm-hmm. It it's it's a lot of manual one off steps to get that done. There's just no good way to do it um, f- from an automated way, at least that I've seen. So I'll, often, what I'll do if I do need to get all metadata from an org, I'll just open up like Illuminated Cloud at least to build like an initial package.xml, and it's you know oftentimes it's just it's just giant. Um, it's, it's. I guess my answer is it's. It can be done. It's just such a bad way to work. It's such. It's not a. They did not do a good job on the design of the API of that thing. How you work with this metadata system, right? It's just really cumbersome, and it, it does not lend itself to automation. And if and I, we have this DX initiative that's all about automation, but it's it's actually fundamentally not addressing that. It's not addressing that part. At least not yet. I mean, I know, you know, you they're probably taking one step at a time here, but as far as I can tell. It's not making that any easier to, how do I just, is there, can I do a, what's the, what's the command that's like force, right? Can mm-hmm. I do a force org colon metadata colon pull or something? And it just gets all my metadata, all of it, all the managed, all the stuff from managed packages, all the stuff from the folder items, all, everything. Because maybe I want to, I need, I need to track that. I want to version control it because, oh, we're doing source driven development, mm-hmm. which is apparently a new thing. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to get that into a, into a uh, scratch org. So that I've got a realistic picture of my entire org. It's just, so it's just, I, yeah, it's way it, too cumbersome. It's not, it's way too hard. Yeah. So I guess, I guess what you're saying is that it is possible. It's just too cumbersome. There, there might be a few items that aren't supported in the metadata API as well. That's a, that's a whole other thing, right? Yeah. Which is there are, and I don't know. I mean, ideally that's, that list is shrinking zero, but I mean, yeah, if you, if you actually, I believe they maintain that list in the metadata API documentation. I was going to say, I think there is I a think, list there. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a list of like, they just list out like, here are the things you cannot, still cannot do. And it, it's a lot. Although I think, I mean, they, uh, I, I have noticed them um, just by kind of reading through release notes or whatever over time, they, they will tackle those slowly mm-hmm. over time. But it's good to be aware of those because sometimes you don't realize, especially when you consider your metadata it could be hundreds of megs and it's just, enough XML to, you know, to whatever, to, to die in. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's, there's no way you're going to like realize, oh, this doesn't have lead assignment rules. It's like, it's, you wouldn't even think to, I mean, there's just too many things. So it's good to see that list mm-hmm. to know what you're going to have to do manually. Right. Yeah. All right, next one. Uh, this one's from Kevin Gunn. Actually, Kevin gave us a couple of things. Um, I think he was our reviewer. Yes, yeah, we're allowed to use his name. I think he was our reviewer. I think. Because uh, he says, was just listening to Two Dirty Lines. That was the last episode, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, episode and being referred to as he, she was a little unsettling. I think that's because uh-huh. we, were, we were trying to... F- we didn't know. Yeah, we didn't yeah, know, we didn't know so we, we couldn't I, say no, he yeah, or she. Right. I, I, <laughs> I see Kevin's name you know, here and there, but I, I didn't. I don't think we knew. Right, because the, it, it shows the iTunes username, which was not indicative of who yeah, I think the it was like, actually I think it, Going back to my notes, I think it was Hollywood. Yeah. Hollywood. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. It was. Yeah. I remember that. Hollywood... All right, so what's Kevin saying? Okay, I'm going to make a marker to put in the actual song so people don't have to hear that. Okay. All right. Uh, what's the question? 
Uh, I've become very comfortable with Lightning components, and I'm starting to reap some benefit of the abstraction and reuse of components. I'm sitting at my desk at the moment and need to create a new page and almost jump straight into making a new, new Visual Force page with a LC doing all the heavy lifting. Uh, and realize that's probably not the best route for this particular case, meaning creating all the LC, uh, I'm assuming Lightning component yeah. bundle, might be overkill when I could have a Visual Force page plus controller and be done. Right tool for the job kind of thinking. Uh, this got me wondering, is there a generic philosophy around choosing which which to implement? Uh, more specifically, is it always a right tool for the right job question, or should there be a bias to just invest heavily in LCs, Lightning components? For some reason, I'm not thinking for... Hold on, this was in parentheses. Uh, yeah, we'll end it there. So I think the summary of that question is... Uh, do we all start just building lightning components or yeah. do, do we throw visual force and plus controller out, out the door? And I also think I heard, and I'll paraphrase it in my own way. Do we, do we, again, back to the dogma, do we adhere, do we adhere dogmatically to whatever the latest whims of our vendor is? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's not necessarily the, that, that's not, that's not a good way to go because vendors are always going to do what is right for them at the moment. What's mm-hmm. the part of their business plan? Um, obviously, you need to make sure that you know that you're not uh, building in some technology that they've they've announced is going away in two months. So it's good to listen to the vendor, but know that they're going to have things they push, and that doesn't necessarily mean that that's what you should be doing. Well, it's, it's um, but, tough. It's it's not just our decision as developers, though. I mean, the client gets involved in that decision. Uh, the client goes to Dreamforce and hears all these great things about Lightning components, come back and and says, "Why aren't you building that in a Lightning component?" Like, you know, you didn't, you're doing visual force. Everything's lightning. What are you doing? Yeah. And I get, um, I get that a lot. And I was actually, that was almost going to be one of my topics that we don't have time to get into it, but um, clients that, and I think it's great that in some ways that trailhead exists and the people, you know, I, I get some, uh, you know, CTO, <laughs> Jeremy's rolling some, his eyes right uh, now, some <laughs> CTO that does some trailheads and then starts questioning me on everything. It's like, Oh my God, really? I'm having to, I'm having to go through this. <laughs> I don't get paid enough for this. <laughs> Um, but no, that's actually a huge part of my job. Yeah, unfortunately, um, and I kind of like it sometimes because it it sometimes it's ch- it's actually challenging. It makes me makes me think more about the decisions I've made. But also, it's uh, I don't know. I've, I've accepted the fact that education is a huge part of my job. Yeah. Well, I mean, is there an answer to this question? I mean, do, uh, do we stick with the mantra of right tool for the right job? Do we try to move towards lightning? I mean. I, I I mean I know it's it's so cliche it's ridiculous and by the way the phrase is right tool for the job. There's only right one tool, right, right job. No right tool for the job. You have a job. Use the right tool for it. Anyway, um, specifically though, his question as far as like lightning and visual, I think you're more suited to answer that question if you if you understood it. What he was asking in terms of do I do a a lightning? I I, I wasn't even clear what that the specifics of, of that were, but. Well, he needed to create a new page, and I, I don't know what type of functionality it needed to support, but I'm assuming that whatever he needed to build could exist on its own on its own page um, versus, you know, something that's that's designed to be embedded with, with say, like an, on an account screen or yeah. something. Um, so, you know, which do you choose? Do you, do you just go the Visual Force route because it doesn't really have to participate with anything else? It's just its own isolated thing. Is it okay to use Visual Force for that, or do you still go through and make a component and put that on there? You know, make that just a single component page, basically. I think you have to. I mean, I guess you have to look at the direction of like where you, where this, where your this company or your organization is going and on its lightning journey, where it mm-hmm. is and where it wants to go. 
Um, and, you know, be careful not to do too much of um, future planning or like trying to future proof or, or getting too caught up in the reusability of your things because we all know that's actually a much harder, it's a much bigger project to create something that's actually reusable. Yeah. And then there's a the whole, you know, Yagni, right? You know, Yagni? No. You ain't going to need it. You ain't going to need it. Yeah. I've never heard so, that before. Yeah. <laughs> so don't, you know, always always be mindful of the Yagni. Yeah. I mean, I, I I don't know how, I guess I would look at it and just make a decision. I mean, if if Visual Force is quick and easy and, and the client doesn't care, I'd, I'd probably just do it in Visual Force. If, if, if they really are on board and everything they do is lightning, and I might probably just say, okay, well, we're in the lightning world now because that's what the client chose and has, has um, what's the right word? level set on or whatever committed to or, committed to or something. And I might, I'd be like, okay, we'll just do it in lightning. Let me ask you this. If you, let's say you're a, a relatively new Salesforce developer and the org that you work in, uh, your company, you guys are all in on lightning. It's all mm-hmm. lightning, um, which actually is not fully possible, but for the most part, right? I mean, it's more yeah. and more possible. Do you even need to know visual force? Is that still a thing that you have to care about? Less and less. I mean, there, there's a period of time where you kind of had these hybrid approaches where you'd have some in visual, some part of your solution in Visual Force, some part of it at not because there were just things that weren't supported in one or the other. So you would kind of do this kind of hybrid thing. But as Lightning gets better and they're, they're offering more components and more tools, I mean, that's it's becoming less of a reason to use Visual Force unless you're going to do something really custom. And even then, that's starting to get a little bit better. Uh, probably the main main reason would be if you're trying to do something that you need full control over that namespace versus, you know, Lightning, which has the um, locker service. Yeah. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm actually thinking of uh, trying to take some time over the holidays to do a deep dive in Lightning. It's um, just getting professionally required. It's starting to make sense. Yeah. I've, well, and I've mainly, I've actually got a client now that's doing some Lightning, or mm-hmm. so it it actually makes sense for me to do. That's good. You get to cut your teeth on it. Yeah. I'm going to be calling you, John, what the hell is this? How does this work? <laughs> it's probably, it's probably going to be like, more like, what were they thinking? No. I, well, I, I, you know I'm what? hoping there's some interesting like architectural things about Lightning that I'll think, oh, that I'll be, at least be able to appreciate and think, oh, that's a good idea. I mean, I know there's going to be things that are frustrating. That's just... Well, probably your first hurdle is going to be the JavaScript controller versus the JavaScript helper controller. That'll be your first hurdle. I'm already confused by that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, so that's our, that's the end of our community topics. We got through them. We have one that we'll table. Um, how are we doing on time? Yeah, we we'll probably should start wrapping this up. Probably. Um, um, I have a few other things that I want to wrap up for next week. Um, I do want to talk about Apex Sharp next week. Uh, assuming we do next week. Did we decide that? We didn't. I mean, I, I think I can. Okay. I think I can. I so think, I think I we're can. back next week. <laughs> I think I can. I think I can. Yeah, so I, I do want to, I was able to get a uh, kind of, personal demo from Jay and we talked about a few things and so there's some interesting things I think on that to talk about. Did you listen to the .NET Rocks episode see if he actually plugged the show? I didn't. I didn't. I, I, did. I meant to but I, I didn't get a chance to. <laughs> I'm working. Working. <clears throat> um, I I also did some interesting stuff with uh, dates which is kind of a pain in the ass but... Uh, did you time travel? I mean what, what did you do interesting with dates? <laughs> I built like this date parser thing that was oh, God. pain in the butt. That didn't already exist somewhere? It does in other languages. Oh, it's the Apex thing? Yeah. Oh, I basically built my own simple date formatter where you can do a date from a string, yeah. but you can tell it what the format of that date is. So I built that in Apex because uh, there was nothing like that. And I needed it for this integration thing because I need to be able to say, here's a date. Now parse it because the, the native 
dot parse or even dot date dot value yeah, but, of. So we don't we don't need any kind of uh, Maven or NPM for Salesforce. No, just <laughs> just write everything yourself. <laughs> I have to, Jeremy. Otherwise, I'll get sued. Because it becomes IP. No, that's what licenses are for. That's where everyone, you know, <laughs> you, you give it a nice license so everyone can use it without having to worry about anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. I got a couple of. Oh, just, mm-hmm. Another thing we'll we'll probably table for next week. I was thought I thought we'd get to it this week. Um, the the new IC two release. Um, oh yeah, that, and I have not out. even been able to even look at even installing that yet because I am. Oh, I've been using the crap out of it. Okay, I've been re- so. I've been refactoring mad. Wow. I even oh I even like screwed myself refactoring like, like so my much. My desk is raising up a little bit right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I uh, I deleted a class because I was refactoring. Oh my gosh! Wow. <laughs> that was my bad. No, I'm so bad. excited about that. that. Was my bad. We did we did announce that, didn't we? That IC2 was released. Uh, no, we didn't. We, we, didn't we said it? it was on the horizon, yeah, but so, it hadn't okay. released yet until about a week this ago? week. Yeah, last week we, it was on the horizon. Okay. It released that Thursday, so we did our podcast on Wednesday. It released Thursday. Now, is this a this is a paid upgrade too, right? It is a paid upgrade. Oh, good. Yeah. I, I'm, I've been needing an excuse to throw some more money to Scott's way because he he totally deserves it. <laughs> I agree. I'm like, how can I give you more money? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure, he's got a Patreon somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> he might actually. I should be careful what I ask for. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> Um, no, I'm really excited about that. I've just been, oh my gosh, I've been, uh, I mean, I, you, I've been almost in John mode again for two weeks, second yeah. week in a row. I mean, I, the only thing that stopped it was me slicing half of my finger off. Oh. I had to stop today to actually go to the, <laughs> to the medical, uh, get some medical services. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I do have a couple things. I just wanted, they're, they're kind of quick and funny. Um, <laughs> uh, let, me, let me jump to the Salesforce Tower. Did you, <laughs> did you see? <laughs> no. This is great. Let me open a couple of links here. So, there's a proposal to turn the Salesforce Tower into a into a real into a real gusher. A what? And and there's a couple of different articles. Like one of them was in San Francisco Weekly, and the other one was I can't remember where else. Um, and they're just they're hilarious. Uh, what, like sticking a fountain on the top on, and let it yes. spew. <laughs> okay, so let me read some of this. Um, here's the subtitle. This phallic edifice is right at the edge of finishing. But we need to make it a group effort if we really want to see it shoot. <laughs> um, oh, I get it now. Yes. I, had, I had to go okay. back and look at a picture to remember there's this notch at the top. Oh. Okay. So yeah, it's, it's uh, it. the Salesforce Tower, a thousand something foot tall building in the financial district that's set to open sometime in 2018, is the second tallest man made structure west of the Mississippi River. But the high testosterone contest of wills that characterizes overtly phallic, super tall architecture is always plagued by two questions. What goes on top, and does it count towards the overall size? Um, <laughs> there was an issue with the perfectly girthy One World Trade Center, which is technically 1776 feet tall. Um, let's see. Let me find some of these. <laughs> oh, there's a picture of a rendering. So, I know it is. I mean, this, anyway, <laughs> these articles are just... I probably shouldn't even read these because it's basically just nothing but a bunch of d- jokes. Um <laughs> Uh, there's a, there's another one and this curbed I guess curbed San Francisco I don't know so the jokesters proposed fountain on top of Salesforce Tower. Um, yeah, there's a change.org petition. Really, the, and here's here's something I guess from the from the change.org the San Francisco skyline has been forever changed by the large erect Salesforce Tower thrusting up into the heavens. I propose an artistic fountain at the tip of the tower above the shaft. Uh, to, <laughs> 
To conserve water, we will be, we will build two large spherical water tanks at the base that will collect and recycle the water as it flows down the shaft of the oh, building. Oh, that's in the picture. I didn't notice that. <laughs> yeah. It is. Oh man. I mean, there's actual artistic, you know, like yes. digital renderings of these. Yes. Uh, so, so if you're, I mean, we'll put the change.org uh, in the in the links. You can all go vote for this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're so uh, we're we're so juvenile, John. It's a very sophomoric humor. It's Christmas. We're allowed to be. Uh, Dreamforce tickets went on sale for the low, low price of twelve ninety nine, thirteen hundred dollars. John, ouch, that's nice. And he, and yes, and you, that's the you, cheap you, part you, of the that trip. Is, I know that's the cheap it part is of the, the trip. Cheap part. And that's what that's like. You know, really, Dream Dreamforce is for. And I, I guess everyone admits this, but Dreamforce is it's for the privileged, man. It's for the and elites. I, I, I mean, my privilege is not at the level that I'm allowed to go to Dreamforce. I just can't do it. I'm trying to pay for my health insurance. I can't pay I for, yeah. <laughs> for Dreamforce. Twenty grand a year in health and health insurance premiums. Yeah. I can't afford this stuff. My my privilege will not allow it. What else? Um, Salesforce is no longer asking for salary history for its job applications. I saw several tweets about this. They're like, oh, I love the Ohana. Salesforce is always doing the right thing. They're, they're not going to ask for salary history anymore. Go Salesforce. Thank you so much, Mark Benioff. And it turns out that the reason they're not asking for salary history anymore is because it's illegal to in California now. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, see, Was that see? a good impression of a, your, your typical Salesforce uh, fan? <laughs> I don't think I'm allowed Probably to say. Not. No, you're not. Yeah, you're. You're. <laughs> no, you're bound by uh, NDA and all kinds of other. Yeah, that's right. Unholy alliances with that's Salesforce. Right. The dark side. Come yes. join us, Jeremy. <clears throat> uh, so we have more certification exam, entire exams posted online, which has caused a, quite a a fracas and a, quite a quite a kerfuffle amongst the well, the indoctrinated. I thought I, I heard that. I wasn't sure if we we're going to get into that. Uh, are you on board with the? Uh, do you think they did the right thing, or do you think it's all theater? Well, I don't know. I don't think it's theater. I don't. So the Salesforce closed down. Like you can't even take the. Was it the platform developer two? Yeah. It's just shut down. Well, one and two, right? I don't know. One anyway, and two, whatever. They shut some exams down because like they they got leaked or people. But I mean, did Salesforce not already realize that you? That's could what I'm saying. I think it's oh, theater. I mean, it's it's been known. It's it's like uh, it's not a surprise to me that those tests are out there. And 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 I understand why pe- people are upset about this, and a lot of, a lot of the people that have a lot of these certifications are upset because. If if all the answers are out there, it waters down the certification. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. and I, and I, and I understand that. And again, we don't have to go deep into certifications right now because people know how I feel. I don't, you know, I don't feel it's a good way. Of, it's not a good way of evaluating people, and it's not it's not the fault of the certification. It's the fault of it. Just makes it too easy to do shortcut hiring. Mm-hmm. It, it's too tempting, um, and it prevents people from actually learning how to hire, learning how to evaluate candidates, and and that just is a shortcut that should not be taken, uh, in my opinion. Um. But yeah, in Salesforce, you know, they're obviously super, they're all, they've been pushing the certification thing on the community and they, they require it for partners. They make it, I mean, it's almost, it's virtually required for anyone wanting to work in this business. You know, not very many people, I think, are fortunate enough to be able to opt out like you and I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, a, and, and it's, it's expensive. I mean, I was just talking to someone earlier today that, that um, actually is a, kind of runs a Salesforce partner thing and has just basically opted out. Because just the time and the money, and it's just, and it's not, it's not, again, they don't, uh, this person also doesn't think that it's the right way to evaluate people. It's, it's not how we should do it. And the only reason anyone does it is because Salesforce forces you to. That's the only reason anyone does it. And, yeah. you know, if you list, if you believe the certification number, they've done 18 billion of them now. It was 18 billion or 18 million? 18, no, it was 18 million. They've done, there, that's the certification numbers up in the 18 millions now. 
and you know, multiply that times a hundred or three hundred or how much ever it costs. That's a um, it's quite a revenue stream. Yeah, I mean, I have no idea if that if if the Salesforce U or whatever it's called now because I know they re it's been rebranded. Salesforce U has been rebranded to something else. Yeah, I think like, it's like Trailhead University, maybe or yeah, Trailhead, I think like something. Two or three rebranded yeah. behind, but uh, <laughs> I'm sure it's going to be my my certification but or I, something. I mean, I'm I, that group. Even even with all the certification fees, may not even be a, a profit a profitable group. I have no idea. But man, if they're not, damn, you guys are inefficient with all that certification <laughs> revenue. <laughs> uh, what else, John? Salesforce has an equality update, the annual equality update from Tony Profit. If oh, anyone nice. would care to go look at how diverse Salesforce is, at least in uh, the, me- the, the metrics that Salesforce chooses to analyze diversity on. Oh, you're so cynical. Yeah, it is what it is. <laughs> it's, they're diverse as long as you think like they do. Um, let's see. Uh, I think that's it. Go get your Dreamforce tickets. <laughs> yeah, really. <clears throat> All right. I'll save, I'll save this for next week, but okay. um, you have influenced my programming, I noticed. Oh. I, 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 um, I made some decisions and changed a lot of my old habits. Wow. Yeah. So we'll, well, maybe we'll talk about that next time. Ring the bell for that one. No kidding. It's not, it's not easy to change this old stubborn man's habits. It's not. <laughs> It's really um, not. But at some point, I think I saw a little bit of wisdom there, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to hmm. start doing this. Interesting. Well, that is that is a cliffhanger. That's that's what you call a, <laughs> a tease, John. Good job. That was a professional move. Hmm. So you'll have to wait until next week to find out. Um, in the meantime, though, thank you to everyone for all the questions. This was fun. I like these. It gives us something to talk about when sometimes when there's not a lot to talk about. Um, so please keep those coming. Info at gooddaysirpodcast.com. Questions, topic ideas, whatever. Um, Hate mail. Whatever. It's by default anonymous. If you want to allow it, allow us to use your name, uh, just say in there and then we'll use it. Um, also, we have the Slack, which I will be posting our address if you want to send us a flaming bag of poop or whatever. Um, <laughs> God, uh, we, don't, we don't get anything inappropriate. Um, <laughs> but no, it's a, it's a Slack where uh, a lot of us you know, get together and talk about Salesforce stuff and other stuff and have fun and help each other. Uh, if you're not in there, uh, you might want to check it out. So go to gooddaysirpodcast.com, click on community, enter your email address, address, and then John will add you. And then we, uh, the email address goes away. We delete it. We don't save those. We don't sell those. We would never do that. What else? Um, reviews. We don't get reviews anymore. I don't think we should just give up on that. Probably. Um, but if you want to give us a review, please go to iTunes or the Google thing or the other things. Max stars. Good words. Whatever. What else, John? What else is in the back matter? I think that's it. I think we covered okay. it all. Awesome. Uh, Merry Christmas. Christmas Merry is coming. Merry Christmas. Happy Festivus. Happy Hanukkah. Is Hanukkah over? I think it's still going, right? I don't know. Yeah. Um, all the things. I, we could just say a happy holidays. Yeah, that happy covers holidays. them all, right? Yep. And if we somehow don't manage to record next week, um, happy new year. I think we'll record. Uh, well, we're going to try. We're going to try. Well, and to that, I say good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose! Good day, sir!